on a message entitled Turbulence in the Heavens. Turbulence in the Heavens. Genesis 28 verse 12. Then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. There the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first verse which I, the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Our theme scripture this year is from 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Several weeks ago, I've been in a time of prayer and in this time of fasting that we were doing. The Lord opened my eyes to see what I have titled an, an opening or a turbulence in the heavens. I saw perhaps in a mini vision, whatever you want to call it, I saw a swirling motion in the clouds, a disturbance, not a storm, but an opening. And the clouds were in movement. And in the midst of that cloud, there was an opening. And I knew it to be a window that God was opening, an opening in the heavens. I can still see it in my heart as I talk about it this morning. I believe that God desires to open the heavens over our church and over our city. I believe the opening represented the door he's opening over our church and this region. And he's calling in this minute. There's a divine invitation saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. The swirling clouds, I believe, represent the opposing adversary. I read to you 1 Corinthians 16, 9, and the Apostle Paul reveals to us in that passage of Scripture that there will be many adversaries to oppose us at the door. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In John chapter 10 verse 7 through 10, then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and, and out and find pasture. And then he says this in John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. You will never have abundant life until the windows are opened over you. We are going to experience abundant life. We have to live under an open heaven. We often quote that verse in John 10, 10 to describe the devil, but I want you to note the context Notice where we engage the enemy. Verse 7 said, I am the door. Verse 9, I am the door. The battle is at the place of entrance. Why have we encountered such fierce warfare? Because we are at the very door of our breakthrough. The enemy comes to oppose us at the place of our breakthrough. What is this opening in the heavens? I believe it is an invitation to experience an outpouring of God's spirit. It is an invitation to be seated with the Lord in heavenly places. We need an open heaven over our church, over our city, and over this region. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, John sees a door standing open in heaven. And then he hears the words, come up here. 
There's an invitation being issued from the very throne of God today saying it's time to come up, come up. He's not saying to come down. He's saying come up to where I am. Sometimes we want to pull God down to our level. And today there's a move and we have to reshape God into our image. He has to be uh, this or he has to be that. And we have to reshape him into our image in order to be comfortable with him. Listen, that's not scriptural. He's the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the sovereign of all the universe. Listen, we don't bring him down to our level. We come up to where he is. And there is a divine invitation saying come on up come up a little higher come up to the place where I'm at come and sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus why does he invite us to come up because we need instruction we need revelation to secure the door of our future how do we overcome the enemy at the door well in Genesis 28 12 it says there are angels of God ascending and descending we have allies in this battle. Angels are ministers who minister to the heirs of salvation. Terry Law writes in his book, Everyone's Guide to Angels, angelic visits always had a purpose and they brought people closer to God and his plan for them. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, let me read it from the New Living Translation. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. In Isaiah 61 verse 4, there's a passionate prayer being prayed by the covenant people of God. Listen to their prayers. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might shake at your presence. In this passage of scripture, there's a prayer inviting God to rend the heavens and come down. The word rend in the Hebrew language means to tear upon, to cleave asunder, to divide, to break open, to take by storm, to tear in pieces. One translation reads, it says, O Lord, tear the covering over the heavens and appear now. My prayer this morning is, Lord, tear the curtains. Tear the curtains and appear now. Rend the heavens and come down. And there in that passage, I believe it's Isaiah 64, 1. There you go. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the heavens might shake at your presence. There's seven things that happens when the Lord comes down. But I'm not going to preach about those seven this morning. What happens when God rends the heavens? There's a deliverance. The mountains shake at his presence. When he comes down, there's the fire of worship. There's the reign of blessing. There's the reign of God's word. There's the sovereign power of God released. There's Holy Spirit activity and present truth delivered. Notice in the Old Testament passage that I read to you, there's a prayer for God to come down. But in our text in Revelation 4.1, there's an invitation to come up. And in Ephesians 2.6, listen to what it says. And raised us up together and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God desires to open the heavens over his people. And he's inviting us to come up here. That means we must rise above the noise and the clamor of our day. We must rise above the warfare. We must rise up out of discouragement, despair, and sorrow. God is calling us up. There's an invitation. Rise up and leave fear behind. Rise up and leave worry behind. The Holy Spirit is inviting us to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. What is that? That's a place of intimacy. 
That's a place where we hear his voice. That's a place where we know him. See, God's calling us above all the noise and the clamor that surrounds us. He's calling us above all the distractions of this world. And he's saying, come up and be seated with me in heavenly places. And I'll give you instruction. I'll give you revelation. I'll show you which must take place after this. In Genesis 28, Jacob was running for his life. He was running from his brother after stealing away the patriarch's blessing with the help of his mother. He stopped in a state of exhaustion at a, at a city, in a little town, a village called Luz. It was there he had an encounter with God. He witnessed an open heaven. Dr. Chuck Pierce writes in this visitation, God revealed to Jacob that he is the Lord of the past, the present, and the future. I've come to tell you that the God we serve is not just the God of the past. And he's not just the God of the present. But the Bible says he holds my tomorrows in his hand. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, he does not change. We change. God doesn't change. He's the same. This encounter brought Jacob into a relationship with the Lord. This caused him to have faith that he could actually grab hold of the promise and blessing that had been spoken over him. There's an open door in heaven and a divine invitation to come up here. And in Genesis 28, 12, an exhausted man experienced this open heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to minister and experience the refreshing power of God that flows to us through an open heaven. I don't want to live under heavens that are closed. I don't want to live under heavens that are brass. I don't want to live under a heaven that's closed up. I want to live under the open heaven so that the glory of God can flow from his throne. See, it's from an open heaven that provision comes. It's from an open heaven that the miraculous comes. It's from an open heaven that God sends those things that we need. We need the heavens to be opened over us today. So let's examine this powerful encounter with the Lord. There are four things. Number one, Jacob experienced a revelation. We have a weary traveler. And in Genesis 28, 10 through 11, it says, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. He pillowed his head on a rock. He most likely used the folds of his garment as well as his head covering to cover this rock. Now Jacob was a shepherd. And when I was in Israel near Bethlehem at what is called the Shepherds of the Field, the Orthodox site there. It's in a little town outside of Bethlehem called Beit Seor. And there it is believed to be where the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night that the angels came and told them about the Messiah. But it was also the place where Jacob kept his flocks and where Ruth gleaned in the field. Finished Jennings Dake in the Dake's Bible writes, he said, sleeping out in the open was the custom of shepherds, so this was no hardship for Jacob. When we think about Jacob pillowing his head on a rock, he was a shepherd. He pillowed his head on a rock many times. This was just another day in Jacob's life. He's weary. He's traveling to Haran, to his mother's people, to find a wife. You remember he found Rachel, and he wound up with the sister, Leah. Then he wound up with both of them. It's one man for one woman. I'm preaching good and can't get no help in here. He dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up, Genesis 28, 12. 
And its top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God spoke to Jacob in a dream. One source I read listed 34 different dreams in the scriptures. Brian Carraway says dreams are one of the most overlooked forms of communication used by God. He continues, the word of God consistently reveals God as speaking to people through this universally experienced and mysterious phenomenon. Biblical dreams are given for the following reasons. Number one, to warn global leaders of future events. Number two, to provide revelation to his prophets. Number three, to warn us against certain decisions. Number four, to reveal his divine destiny for our lives. Number five, to answer our recent petitions and prayers. God spoke to Jacob in a dream. Verses 12 and 13 of Genesis 28. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to your descendants. Jacob witnessed an opening in the heavens. There was an opening in the heavens. A portal. An opening. Verse 12 says that this was a ladder. Now some would interpret this as a stairway. Some say it was kind of like terraces. I don't know that it was just a, a ladder and the angels were, but I believe it was like terraces and they were ascending and descending from this ladder. There was angelic activity. One sure sign of a visitation of God's spirit will be testimonies of angelic activity. But notice Jacob not only sees angelic activity, but the Lord who stood above this ladder. He identifies himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's identifying himself as the covenant God of Jacob's fathers. He reveals himself as the God of the past, the God of the present, and the future. He opened the heavens and revealed himself to Jacob. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible notes reads, it says, Jacob was the third generation to receive the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, not because he was righteous, but Jacob had probably never heard God's voice before, and the Lord identifies himself by his prior relationship with Abraham and Isaac. This was Jacob's introduction to God. Jacob had an encounter with God, and God later identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Exodus 3, 6 to Moses. See, God's a tri-generational God. God's promises span generations. See, we live in time and we think, well, God, where are you at? You didn't do what you said you were going to do. I'm just tired of waiting. We wait on God and we think, God, you're, you're four days late. Where are you? Why didn't that promise come to pass? That pastor that gave me that word, he, he missed it. God's a tri-generational God. God reigns above time. God's not constrained by time. What seems like a long time to us is just a few seconds to God. And there are promises over ministries that sometimes will span generations. If we'll be faithful to God, like our previous forefathers were faithful to God in this church, then we'll inherit the promises that God made to them. There are probably promises over this ministry that we're not even aware of, but God watches over his word to perform it. And God says, if you'll be faithful to get the heavens opened over you, then I will fulfill those words that I spoke to your parents and your grandparents. The seeds planted in past generations are what we will reap. See, God does not confine his work to one generation. Remember, God's not constrained by time. Listen to his words in Hebrews eleven thirty five 35 through 40. Others were tortured, 
not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. This is the hall of faith. These were the people who had faith. And God says this in verse 38. And having, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. But look at verse 40. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We received the promise. Hallelujah. They walked through the hardships and the difficulties and paid the price and paved the road. And now we that come behind, we can inherit the promise. But see, we're so focused on ourselves many times, we don't see that we're trying to, supposed to be preparing the way for the next generation. What God is doing is not about us. It's about those who will follow us. Hallelujah. God opened the heavens to renew his covenant promises and reveal himself. Jacob experienced a revelation. But then secondly, Jacob experiences a realization. He revealed himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac. And in verses 13 through 15 of Genesis 28, he makes the following promises. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the God, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. In verse 16, it said, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How often have we been in God's presence and didn't realize it until it was too late? We were exhausted. We were distracted. He didn't come in the way we expected. See, there's a fresh wind of the Spirit that's been blowing in our church. But I must caution you not to miss this moment. Read through the Scriptures. The people of God always fight what God's doing. You send a prophet, they'll stone him. I'm preaching good, can't get no help in here. And they fight it. They, they, we miss it. Because it's not packaged in the way that we've, it's been packaged in the past. It don't look the way we thought it ought to look. See, we get a word from God, we get a promise from God. The first thing we do is try to figure out how God's going to do it. If you can figure it out, it's got nothing to do with God. I was talking to my wife the other day and I said, hey, I'm going to lay out a scenario of what I think is going to happen. And as I thought about it, I said, I'm not even going to bother. Because if I can figure it out, God's not in it. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Jacob said, surely the Lord was in this place. And I did not know it. Several months ago, the Lord spoke to us about a visitation of his spirit. And he said the way we responded to this visitation would determine our future. Listen, God doesn't come and visit us because he's lonely and he just wants us to feel better. Well, I'm just going to go down there and give my people some goosebumps today. And they'll feel better. They'll be better, to, better able to cope with the things that come against them next week. That's not the purpose of visitation. Now listen, God's concerned about you. He's concerned about the way you feel. He's concerned about what you're going to face next week. And he loves you enough to give you the Holy Spirit to empower you and enable you to overcome anything the enemy brings against you. But visitation has a purpose. The first purpose of visitation is to position us for a greater visitation. Visitation brings us into his image, into his likeness. The Lord puts us on the potter's wheel. He begins to take off the rough edges. 
He begins to deal with us. Visitation should bring about a sanctification and a holiness in our life. And it should cause us to draw near to God. And when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And he just turns up the heat. He turns up the fire. He turns up the intensity. Glory to God. And when he does, come on somebody, we're overwhelmed by his presence. Well, I want revival to come and restore us back to 1979. 1979 is not coming back. No, God brings us to position us. He says, I long to pour out my spirit. How long to minister to you? How long to draw you into my love? How long to draw you out of your place of apathy? How long to draw you out of your place of lethargical, your lethargical place that you find yourself in? How long to draw you out of that discouragement and that hopelessness that has come against you? How long to draw you out of that long-term fear, spiritual warfare that you've engaged in? And I want to draw you up into my presence because in my presence is everything that you need. Pastor, we need this and we need that. You just simply need his presence. He's enough. Actually, he's more than enough. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to give God praise. The Bible says in John 1, 10 and 11, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Jacob said, the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. Jacob was just looking for a place to sleep. Jacob was just looking for a place to rest. Jacob was thinking about the journey ahead of him. Jacob was consumed with all that was going on. But God had other ideas. And God encountered him. And Jacob was never the same again. Let me just move on from there. The Lord was in this place. There's a realization. But notice third, Jacob responds. There's a response to visitation. Verse 17 of Genesis 28. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This was a life-changing encounter with the covenant God of his fathers. This was not church as usual. This was not just another day on the calendar. But verse 17 reveals this encounter produced the fear of God. How did Jacob respond? He declares, this is the gate of heaven. And the Bible said in verse 18, he rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put at his head he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. He built a memorial to memorialize this encounter with God. Throughout the word of God, men built memorials when they experienced his manifest presence. Joshua ordered the children of Israel to build two memorials in Joshua chapter 4 verses 1 through 8 after they crossed over the Jordan River. They took 12 stones and placed them in the Jordan River where the priests stood in the river. They took 12 stones to build a memorial at the campsite. Why? To remember how God brought them into the land. How God at flood time opened the Jordans and they walked across on dry ground. They built these memorials so subsequent generations would know how God brought them out of the wilderness and into their promised inheritance. I want to stop right there and preach something for a moment. We've got to tell our story to our children. Even when they get tired of hearing it, we've got to keep telling it. They need to hear how you got saved. They need to hear how you got sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to hear about the times God came and supernaturally provided for you. They need to hear how God ministered to you. My grandfather was an old-time preacher, loved the Lord. The way he knew he was called to preach, he was down on a ball field on Evergreen Street in Anderson, on the mill village there. And a hand from heaven come down and touched him. And he knew that was the call of God on his life to preach the gospel. My mother told me about the man that later, years later, would become our pastor. 
said he was a sinner. He's walking down the street one day and said, my saintly old godly grandfather was on the porch and he looked down there and he told my mother, said he's got a call on his life. He'll preach the gospel one day. See, those things encourage you. Tells you that God spoke to your foreparents and it shows you that you're carrying a legacy from them and your children need to hear and know the testimony of God's grace. We need to build some memorials. Let me tell you about this church right here. 1950, they built this church. I don't think they had any millionaires in that day in this church. They built this building and most of them worked in the, in the cotton mill. They didn't make great money. They were blue collar laborers that worked in a mill. And they built this church. And there was prayer went on in this building. From the day they started putting the roof on it, they started praying in this house. And there are articles in the newspaper that tell how they paid this building off in record time. They did that without great big donations coming in. They did that by God's people being faithful and giving into the vision that God had for them. What a heritage we have. What a heritage we have. We've got to tell the stories. Build a memorial. How many of you have testimonies you can share? Raise your hand. Sure you do. Tell them to your children. Tell them to your grandchildren. Let me tell you how God gave me my first job. Let me tell you how God provided for us when we didn't have enough. Do you see all that we have now? There was a time when we didn't have that. But we've been faithful and God's blessed us. Hallelujah. The Lord was in this place and I didn't recognize him. I just came here to sleep. I just came here on another day. I just came here on my way somewhere else. But God intersected my way and the heavens opened over me. Can I finish this? And he changed the name from Luz to Bethel. The word Beth means house, dwelling. The word El is for El Shaddai. It's the name of God. It means the house of God. A place where I'm just going to stop over of no significance and no importance. God showed up in that place. And the name of it changed to Bethel. And listen, even today we talk about Bethel, the house of God. Glory. See, the kingdom of God's without observation. The world will take, not take note that we're gathered here today in this sanctuary. They could care less. They're out there doing their thing. It's just another day on the calendar to them. They don't have any idea of what goes on inside these four walls. They don't have any inkling as to what we are. They think we're just another social group. They think we're just another charitable organization in the community. But I've come to tell you that if the heavens will open over this house, God will change our name from just another church in the neighborhood to the very house of God, the gate of heaven, and God will show up in this place. And this place will be known throughout this region for the glory and the presence and the power of God. And the glory and the presence and the power of God We'll draw the ones in the community who are hungry, who are seeking. Everybody won't come and everybody won't take notice, but there'll be a people that God will get a hold of and they will come not because of who we are, not because of the preacher, not because of the music, not because of, of the friendliness of the people. They'll come because the gate of heaven has been opened over this house and the glory of God is in this place and it is a Bethel. Hallelujah. Throughout scripture, God changes names. Everywhere God comes and encounters people, their names change. Abram. Abram means exalted father. But God came and visited with him and said, from now on, your name's going to be called Abraham. Now, I want you to think about that. Abraham, Abram is barren. He and his wife, Sarah. And God says, from now on, you'll be Abraham. Your name is the father of a multitude. Glory. Now, think about it. Think about what Abram's thinking about. I'm old. Ain't going to be no more babies at my house. And God shows up and says, I'm going to name you Abraham father of a multitude. It was a medical miracle. Then there's Jacob. See, Jacob's name means trickster. 
He lives by the tricks. He lives by the sleight of hand. But God comes and wrestles with him one night and says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but your name will be Israel, Prince of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 20, David renamed the valley of Rephaim to Baal-perazim, the master of breakthrough. Luz became Bethel because the heavens opened over it. Why does God change the name? Because God is dealing with your identity. Your identity. Names in the Bible mean something. They're important. I pastored a lot of different cultures when I was in Maryland, and especially the Nigerians. But their names mean something. I had a little boy from India. His name was Abishek. It means anointed. They understood the purpose of names. When God puts a name on you, it deals with your destiny. It deals with a changing season. Remember Gideon in the cave? Hiding, and God says, thou mighty man of valor. He starts looking around. Who are you talking to? I'm hiding from the enemy. God speaks to our destiny. He speaks to our identity. Let me just finish this real quick. The results of Jacob's visitation. Notice the changes that took place in this visitation. He realizes that God is his provider. Verses 20 and 21. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way, I'm going that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. So that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. In verse 22, he made a vow to give back a tenth of everything that God would give to him. He had an encounter with God. And the first thing it does, it affects his wallet, his pocketbook. It affects that. You want to know what a sure sign of revival is? When people get liberal in their giving. When people get liberal in their prayer life. When people get liberal in their worship. You say, Pastor, how do we get the heavens open? I'll tell you how we do it. We pray. We fast, we worship, and we give. And really all four of those are elements of worship. Prayer is worship. Fasting is worship. Praise and worship is a part of worship. And giving is worship. I don't know about you, but I want the heavens to be opened over my life, over my family. And I want the heavens to be opened over this church. Amen? Stand with me.